Welcome back to the most interesting family cast. I am still your host, Crystal Spring Heaney, CEO, consultant, and homeschooling mother of five. Good morning. I am starting to see online the trend again of a lot of people type out this homeschooling experiment. And I've talked to this a little bit before, but I want to talk a little more now because a lot of people have this backward. And so I went ahead and did a little research on the history of public education in this country for you so you don't have to do it. All the way back at the founding of the colonies in around 1642, Massachusetts Bay was Puritan based. And one of the things that Martin Luther had pushed for was a mandatory education system. And he did this from what some claim now is a military perspective. But what they were trying to do is perpetuate Calvinism and the suppression of possible dissent. So at this point, this was a religious, basically indoctrination, you would call it today. But this group of people imposed upon themselves, not everyone else, the fact that their children would do this. Now, if you wanted to live in that colony, you had to do this. And if you didn't, the government would take the children and apprentice them to itself for the instruction. And then five years after that, they followed up with the first public school. Now, in Connecticut, the High Puritans started compulsory schools in 1742. We're talking almost 100 years later because they were trying to suppress a dissenting movement and keeping that sect called New Light from training youth in what they considered ill principles and practices. So if you're having second thoughts on, oh, but public schools been around forever, it was groups of people trying to indoctrinate children into their religious thought as we would look at it today. And at, so even as late as the late 1700s, all of this compulsory education law was based upon ensuring that children stayed within the religious sex of their parents and were raised within them. And in 1789, after the Republic was founded, Massachusetts and the rest of New England, except for Rhode Island, really started enacting general public school laws. Massachusetts went so far as to put the schools throughout the state, certify teachers, specify curricula, and enforce compulsory attendance. Now, if you think about the Constitution, we are talking about states' rights. Is this something that the state had the right to do? For those of you quick to jump on me, well, this has been around forever. Remember that these colonies tended to be aligned by religious sects. So these were, in effect, religious schools that even if you weren't that religion, you were then mandated to learn that religion. Your children were to be brought in that religion or you had to move. And it should be concerning that the other most enthusiastic group supporting it was a bunch of Federalist merchants whose thoughts were along the lines of, as a quote, people must be taught to confide in and reverence their rulers. Fathers should firmly rule, providing a perfect whole large family, and everyone should be learning their place and keeping to it. So what this really was is the collectivist looking for, and they quote, teaching proper subordination. So we're talking about subjugation here. And that was what this group was looking for. 
And these merchants were all about, you know, bounties, tariffs, rebates, the things that are economic restrictions that would benefit those in power, keep them in power. And these are the ones that wanted public education so that you could then have basically somebody who was taught from day one that they were just to follow along. We weren't concerned with an, a large economic role of government as long as the natural leaders of society ran it. And this all came to a head more around the late 1700s, early 1800s, where New Hampshire and North Carolina started getting on board because the two founders of public school systems there were emphasizing that children belong to government rather than their parents. And well, there are some people out there who may agree with that. Why is because they want children taught in them for the precepts of morality and religion should be inculcated. They wanted habits of subordination and obedience to be formed. There were people saying that parents know not how to instruct them. This is verbatim because the state must take charge of them where their minds can be enlightened and their hearts trained to virtue. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds a lot like indoctrination. And part of why is that they wanted to consolidate the power of the ruling class, even that early in the Republic, because there were no guarantees for the ruling class. And they saw this public education trend at that time as a way to try to keep them in power and subjugate people from logical thought or ideas outside of what they, as the religious leaders in general, were bringing in. And this gets us to the Right OM Plan, which was a socialist proposal for total government of control of the schools. It was to quote, national, rational, Republican education, free for all at the expense of all, conducted under the guardianship of the state for the honor, happiness, virtue, and salvation of the state. Now, in order to do this, they want to impose equality on all children. The public children would, the children would have to go 24 hours a day, year round from two to 16 to school, which is not what we do, but the right OM plan was, however, put partially into force because a lot of newspapers actually support the scheme. And this is where a lot of the other states came on board and we're studying this and in the mid early to mid 1800s it was really a time of influential spread for compulsory education and public education but at this point we're talking middle 19th century mid 1800s that you had a lot of pushback and opposition from working groups because labor didn't want anything new or different. It really wanted to share more fully in the advantages. It wanted for itself what the people who had possessed, and it wanted its children to rise in the world. And what a lot of these plans were doing were trying to keep everybody equal, except for those few elite that then exempted themselves from the public school or were in charge of it, and that's what they would teach their children. And so they were basically trying to break off an elite class in a country that was founded on the principles of everyone being equal because 
they were having to compete equally with everyone without just being on the top. And like I was saying, in the middle of the 19th century, you had a lot of people from, we're talking Massachusetts, Indiana, Ohio. There was kind of a group there that were really instrumental in expanding the school system, making it public, or make it compulsory, excuse me, and then gaining positions of power through this for themselves. So what they did is they made a bunch of interlocking organizations promoting public schools and then used these as discussion centers for the movement. And this specific group of people, as public education expanded, then went on and took over the powerful board positions, the training college positions across the United States. It was this one group of people. And they consistently were calling for public schools, disparaging private schools, and wanted to take a diverse population and mold them into one people. What I found interesting in looking through this is that their arguments then were the same, that we have, we're taking a bunch of people, immigrants, emigrants, and they need to be indoctrinated into our system. They need to become Americans. They need to speak one language. And by the end of the 19th century, late 1800s, there was a huge public school system built that even then was being criticized for its heavy bureaucracy, um, its uniformity, and its inability to deal with different groups and individuals in different ways. Another interesting fact from this time is the fact that the wealthier population was in favor of compulsory public education because they wanted their children educated and they didn't necessarily want to have to pay for it, but they were also the ones running it so they could pick what their children were learning. And the lower classes, the poor, the working classes didn't want it because they were then having to pay for an education that they didn't see as necessary for their children for what they were doing or that also took them away from apprenticeships, from learning the trade on the farm. It's easier you know, to learn certain things when you're growing up in them. And then by the time that you're an adult, you have a trade, you're working, you're capable and you're contributing to society. And they saw this compulsory education as taken away from that time. And it got to the point in the 1920s where Oregon actually went so far as to outlaw private schooling completely. And this led to the Supreme Court overturning that and allowed for private schools as well. And this is where a lot of people started then and it gained more and more momentum until really the 1970s and 80s where it broke out again, where people started then working on homeschooling as being a private school because they want to teach their children what they wanted to teach their children, not what some, at this point, huge bureaucratic machine with a few people at the top choosing what they want to teach their children and saying, well, then all of you have to learn it and stepping back from this and that 1920 Supreme Court decision, it wasn't in exactly 20, I forget the year, it was in the mid 20s, I believe, 1920s Supreme Court decision was a huge step in making sure that we retained educational freedom as part of being an American.
so the idea of home education is nothing new. The idea of public education is something that came on the heels of a free society where people saw that they were losing control of the masses and the ability to gain people who were just willing to work for them. And if you think about the time frame, I was speaking with my husband about this last night. If you think about the time frame, not only were there the horrors of slavery, but even those people who weren't slaves were locked into their position. So they were, in essence, indentured servants. If you worked for the king, you know, you were his subject. You had specific duties, requirements. You may have to provide a certain amount of food. And if you didn't provide all of that, you didn't have anything left for your family to eat. And well, that was just too bad. And our society as America provided the first free place where your fruits of labor, your production was your own to decide how to work with and distribute with. And this allowed for the free enterprise and it allowed for people to rise above where they'd been. But what it also then demanded is that people do this. Or if you didn't participate in this economy, you couldn't just sit around and say, well, you need to give me your food. Now the farmer's going to laugh at you and be like, well, go get your own food. And so those people who have been up in that higher tier and just been served by everything from servants to slaves to indentured servants to their own populace now were required to hold their positions, their status, and their power through their own efforts. And some of them worked great. There are some people who did well in this, but some of them didn't want to have to do this and thought that they should stay in power. And those are the people that started pushing the public education movement. And I think as we've seen, the public education movement was an abysmal failure. And as we move more and more children to private and home schools, it is one of those things that I think should just be looked at as, okay, we tried it. It was nice and it didn't work. And that's a wrap for today. We will see you at 8 a.m. sharp and any links that we've discussed you can find at www.techmom.me. And you still have the two main arguments that people have to this are one, how are we going to assimilate people into this country? And originally they were worried that they weren't going to be learning Christian ideals. Now we're worried that they're not going to be learning liberal ideals. And as you can see, the reasoning just changes with the time because they want to try and put somebody in and get a cookie cutter out. And as long as that child is in the society, they're going to have to learn if they want to survive and thrive. We provide a land of opportunity, not a land of sustenance. So it's go that part is going to take care of itself. Now, if, some if somebody who's poor wants an education, needs an education, public schooling has really driven up the cost of education. And a huge portion of the economy would be back in people's pockets from taxes for schools. I pay 
for a full classic curriculum, even in the early years where I'm buying all the books, $1,000 a year, $1,500 a year, if I'm buying all the books for my child, and we're paying a lot more than that in the education system. And so the public education system has actually artificially inflated the price of education. So it would be much easier for the lower middle classes, the, the poor people to be able to pay to educate their children or to pay to send them to a private school. And this is where you get into the argument as well of whether or not the government can provide charity. And so they take our money and basically provide charity to all the students to get them schooling, but they also then require us to send our students. Whereas if the government's taken out, everybody has more of their money and Charity is a personal thing, I believe, where you have to then have, if somebody wants to donate their money or a school wants to donate their time, there would be methods and ways for scholarships. There would be methods and ways for people to pay. And it, like I said, education, the cost would come drastically down. And if parents want their children to learn a trade, there's arguments as well in there as to how is that not the education the child needs.